We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. We are up and running. I don't know how close we are to our one-year anniversary. Well, I should know that. Actually, I suppose counting would help. Uh, this will be episode number 354. So with that in mind, we are getting even closer to our one-year anniversary. I can't believe it's already been a year. I've been here since it has started. I am your host, Today, I am Jacob Westendorf on Sunday, July 14th, 12 days before Packers training camp. And joined with me, as always, is Jason Perrone. Jason, it felt a little bit like Arizona today here in Rockford at 90 degrees. I suppose you're going to tell me that was a dry heat out there. Correct. And it's not as always. It's as always if you're only going back as far as two months ago but yes we of course do our other show on that other network so it feels like it's been forever and ever and ever and it has but yeah it's a hot one out there it's definitely a hot one so uh but no uh never too soon for football to come back and we're at least in the month when training camp starts so i can see the light at the end of the tunnel that is these awful Sundays that are void of something very special. 
Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. With Pulse of the Pack, this will be our fourth season, I believe. Uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, fifth. This is our fifth season. Wow, okay. I didn't know if we started in 2015 or not. I couldn't remember uh, if that was the case. So there you go. We've This will be our fifth season. Uh, and first, obviously, uh, on this platform as well. So for those that like to listen to us on both shows, we'll have some information on our plans on how we uh, plan to attack that with having to do Pack-A-Day and Pulse once the season starts and everything like that. But we are here today to the top 10 uh, portion and the schedule recognition or the breakdown of the scheduling has wrapped up. Uh, we did not get a chance to do that. I will let you know that we are both predicting the Packers to go 19-0. and That is subject to change, obviously, but I don't anticipate them losing a game uh, I'm not even sure if they're going to give up a point to their opposing team, to be quite honest with you. Um, but with all those jokes aside, we are here tonight. We're going to talk a couple different things, so we're going to break it down a little bit uh, into segments. And we'll start with the special teams, and we're going to talk about the coaching staff as well once we finish with that. Jason, special teams last year was an abject disaster. Uh, I think the lasting image of the special teams unit will be Ron Zook, with his arms crossed, completely oblivious to the fact that the Lions are about to run a fake field goal. And show favorite and best friend of Jason Perrone, Matt Prater, threw a touchdown pass in the final game of the season, and Ron Zook had no idea what was going on. I think that'll be the lasting image, but honestly, there just wasn't anything good. The kicker stunk. Mason Crosby missed at least one chance at a game-winning field goal. Missed a game-tying field goal against the Arizona Cardinals. Missed a million field goals in Detroit uh, at my bachelor party that weekend. It was a bad year for him. The punter they drafted in the fifth round, that was a little disappointing. If you're going to draft a punter in the fifth round, he better be a freaking stud. And he wasn't. He wasn't even the best punter in his draft class from last year. Um, so that was difficult. Coverage units stunk. They rotated punt returners like I rotate. Never mind. We're not going to go that route tonight. But you get the point on where I'm going at there. They rotated punt returners. Their kickoff return team stunk. By the end of the year, Jamon Moore was returning kickoffs, and he wasn't anything to write home about as far as those things go. Anytime they had something remotely exciting happen on special teams, it seemed like there was a penalty to draw things back. The one positive that comes to my mind immediately is Geronimo Allison blocked a punt that was recovered by Josh Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown against the Minnesota Vikings, and that was in week two. And it was really all downhill from there. They couldn't find a way to do things. Their special teams was legitimately a net negative. Ron Zook was unceremoniously fired, obviously once Mike McCarthy was let go and Matt LaFleur was brought in to change things. So, Jason, let's just start with very, very simple. Close the book on last year. Can the special teams unit get any worse? Well, I don't know if Google got the memo about Ron Sook not being the Packers special teams coordinator because when I typed in Packers special teams coach today, mostly to test and see like what little bit of content's already out there about Menanga. Oh, I think I pronounced that correctly. We've got a whole new coaching staff, so we've got a whole bunch of new uh, names to learn. Um, Ron Zook's picture still shows up, which is very, very disappointing because, yeah, based on that whole Lions game alone, that was that was enough to drive anybody to drink. And one of the reasons why I haven't said much about 
the absolute um, significance of what went down in that game against the Lions is because I don't, I can't replace every single hole and punch in the wall when I bring up that memory. I can't, I can't do it. I know can do. Matt Prater, oh, I said it. I said his name. I said, said it out loud. Oh, it can't get any worse than it did last season. And I don't think that's that's. I mean, just based on the changes that we've seen alone already in, in culture and coaching staff, there's no way that it's going to be as bad in 2019 as it was in 2018. I mean, Tremont Williams misfielding a punt against the Vikings. I mean, the, the, the reason Tremont Williams was brought in was to handle situations like that. When he's failing, something is bad. Something is wrong. There was a very bad vortex around that team last year. The special teams were definitely a huge part of it. Uh, I know that J.K. Scott was overdrafted. I still think it's too soon to draw any conclusions about what he could still turn into. Mason Crosby is going to see some competition in training camp, but I will be surprised if he's not kept. Um, you know, the team might try to redo his deal uh, if it's about the value that they're getting for him. But I, I don't, I don't see him not being the kicker when they start Week One. Um, he's already bounced back from an abysmal 2012 once, and it is a completely different coaching staff, so it's a different level of patience and faith and confidence. But there's there's reason to stick with the grizzled vet who's been in a lot of tough situations and a lot of tight spots, and he has come through, a.k.a. in the divisional playoffs against the vaunted Dallas Cowboys just three seasons ago, two seasons ago, three this year. So uh, I'm not too worried about Crosby. Um, they they've got a lot they've got a lot to look up to. Um, last year, one of the things I looked up was the penalties, and and you mentioned penalties. Every time something good happened, it was getting brought brought back. Uh, the Packers were tied for second most penalties on special teams in the league with 26. The only team worse was the Steelers with 27. And by yardage, the Packers were the fourth worst, and they were separated by just a mere couple of yards. However, as we talked about before we kicked off, the Patriots and the Rams are two of the teams that the Packers were also tied with for special teams penalties, and those two teams faced each other in the Super Bowl. One of them won the Super Bowl, so that doesn't necessarily mean that this team is doomed, but there's a lot of room for improvement, no doubt. Certainly. Sean Menenega, and that's how I'm going to go with pronunciation for now, is he's got his work cut out for him because you just mentioned, I mean, we couldn't mention a ton of positives for last year's unit. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things that are going to change uh, this year, both schematically and from a personnel standpoint. So we'll see if that fixes anything for the Packers special teams. The biggest thing, Jason, that I think people are going to be looking at is who is doing the returning both at kickoff and punt returns, uh, and who is going to be the kicker. Uh, I think you mentioned this year's kicking competition, quote-unquote, feels a little bit more genuine uh, than the one, obviously, from 2014, where I would say it wasn't really a kicking competition between Mason Crosby and Giorgio Tervecchio because Mike McCarthy didn't even bother to learn Tervecchio's name. I always called him Sergio, and that became a bit of a running joke. But if the head coach 
doesn't give a damn about what the player's name is, then he's not going to make the roster. Unless it was just that obvious that Crosby was horrendous, but it really just was a kick in the butt. This year, it feels at least a, a little bit more legitimate than the one from the year before. So, nonetheless, um, Mason Crosby, I think, will be the kicker. Uh, as far as return specialists go, that's an interesting conversation to have. The Packers have brought in a lot of different players to push Trevor Davis. Brian Gutekunst, after the draft, made a point to say there is value in that position because it can change a game. I am in the camp that Trevor Davis is the best returner on the team. The question is, can you keep a player just for his returnability that is not Devin Hester or Dante Hall or Cordero Patterson or someone of that level as a return man? Because... Trevor Davis has never had a problem making plays in shorts. It's always been a problem when the pads have come on for him to remain consistent. Last year, obviously, he's kind of a wash. He gets thrown out. He was injured for pretty much the entire year. Uh, came back for a brief sabbatical and then ended up on injured reserve. So, nonetheless, when he is healthy, he's a very good returner. And, yes, I know he caught that one punt in the end zone that one time against the Bears. Guys, let it go. Because I think a lot of the Trevor Davis hatred, at least amongst my Twitter mentions, comes from people that are trying to find an avenue for Jake Kumaro to make the roster, basically. And I just don't picture that happening. But that's beside the point. If Davis is healthy and makes the roster, he will be the return specialist on both. If the Packers choose to go in a different direction, that's where it gets a little interesting. Because last year they used... Randall Cobb, Tremont Williams, uh, Jair Alexander was back there for a little bit. And really, I mean, the kick returner was a revolving door, especially after Ty Montgomery was traded for essentially what amounts to a ham sandwich, as Andrew Brandt would like to say. Um, yeah, I, I think those would be your two most interesting spots to watch, obviously. The punter, they, have a, they don't have another punter in camp. Uh, J.K. Scott's going to get a chance, but if he stinks... That's going to go down as a – I mean, it's it was a fifth-round pick, so it's not like this franchise crippling move, but it's definitely going to go down as a waste if J.K. Scott doesn't have a better sophomore season. Jason, let's just stick to the return specialist side of things because you kind of addressed the kicker spot. If Trevor Davis doesn't make this roster, who do you think is returning punts for the Packers in 2019? That is a good question. Uh, my initial thought is maybe not as ideal, but we, we've heard about Jair Alexander and his punt return abilities when he was drafted last year, and he didn't get a chance to really showcase those, and then he's going to play a lot on defense. So do you want to put him at risk? Charles Woodson returned punts in his prime when he was with the Packers, but Charles Woodson's also a once-in-a-lifetime, very special-type player, and Jair Alexander can break out all he wants this year. He's not Charles Woodson, so... I don't know. Uh, it's not going to be Jamon Moore. I, 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 I give him a. I still give him a low chance to, you know, he's fighting for a roster spot. So if if it's not Trevor Davis, uh, I don't know. I'm 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 stuck. I'm honestly stuck right now. I mean, you can look at some of the the other receivers, but I don't think any of those guys are really, I mean, do you want, is Valdez Scantling a good punt returner? He hasn't even taken any reps. That, I don't, I don't know who it would be. Um, so I, I guess the easy, you know, 
cheapy answer is, is Jair because he's got experience doing it. I don't want Tremont Williams back there doing it anymore. So I don't, I don't know who else it could be. The one thing I will say about J.K. Scott, you make a good point. Um, again, the overdrafted thing, and he was drafted very early. And to kind of put into more perspective, um, you know, this is just my take on it. I don't know if everyone else will agree with it or if you'll even agree with it. But this last week in the supplemental draft, uh, the Cardinals thought enough of Jalen Thompson, the defensive back, to put a fifth-round tender next year on him to bring him in to help boost their defense. Um, that's, a, you know, a fifth-round pick can still be pretty valuable. And I've, and I've always said I think the fifth round is the last of the rounds where it's like that player really should be on your roster and kind of contributing at least on special teams. Some people put the cutoff at four. Uh, so to be taking a punter there, you know, he does need to he does need to do well. I don't think he's going to be bad, and I think he'll I think he'll be good enough this season. Um, you know, but he's he's I think everybody wants him to be the second coming of Shane Leckler and you know be a Pro Bowl kicker for the next twelve or fifteen years to justify being picked that early. But I mean, honestly, just don't 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 be so awful in winter. Be able to kick in Lambeau Field, and you know. Put the put the opposing team at a disadvantage um, enough, and it's good enough for me. Fair enough, and yeah, it's kind of a tough question to ask when you haven't really seen who the other quote unquote candidates are. But definitely something to keep an eye on as time passes here. I think we can all agree that we don't want Tremon Williams back there returning punts. He was actually a sneaky good punt returner when he was in his prime, uh, but Tremon Williams's value to this team comes with his ability to teach people to play defensive back. He doesn't need to be a sitting target back there and playing um, punt returner. I think that something we can move on from is, you know, ever since Jeremy Ross fumbled in that playoff game in San Francisco in 2012, it almost seemed like Mike McCarthy and the Packers as a whole, we just kind of got stuck with the idea of, okay, just catch it. Like, if nothing else, just freaking catch the ball and make sure we get the possession and go from there. But for now, I would like the Packers to aim a little bit higher than the Randall Cobb just catch it. Micah Hyde originally was back there as a just catch it player and then actually became a pretty good punt returner. Uh, but the Packers really, I mean, Tremont Williams, when he was back there, that was always my impression of him was he was not going to house a punt under any circumstance. Probably not going to make a big return. He's back there because he was going to be secure with the ball, and he wasn't even that at points last year. He fumbled, uh, mishandled that punt against Minnesota that essentially ended that game, uh, which wasn't really talked about because that was a game that kind of blends in with some of the other horrible losses the Packers had throughout last year. So that will put a bow on the special teams portion. Uh, obviously, we talked about that portion of the coaching staff. So, Jason, we're going to go into the coaching staff here. So Mike Patton is back. That was one of the big names from last year's staff that returned. Just about everything else. There are some holdovers, but a lot of the staff is brand new. Uh, obviously, the new head coach, in case you've lived under a rock, is Matt LaFleur, was the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator and play caller last year. Previously has experience with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Uh, a lot of people kind of equate him to the Sean McVay thing because of the trend, but he really is more Kyle Shanahan than he is uh, Sean McVay, or at least appears that way. Jason, let's start here. Of the assistants, I assume you've heard some of them talk, and 
get just kind of get to know them a little bit and just it's you know it's different i mean that's that's the part of you know last year for example when the assistants had their media availability i didn't care to listen to joe philbin all that much because no offense to joe philbin but i feel like i've heard his voice every year since 2010 even though he wasn't here for that whole time frame uh he had you know some time in miami and indianapolis and some of those other places obviously but he returned with green bay last year and i just didn't feel a need to listen to him but some of these new guys i mean i'm kind of kind of hooked a little bit of those guys i mean who is there anybody that sticks out to you that you really like this guy because mine i remember was mike smith i listened to him shortly after the packers had drafted rashawn gary and they had had a couple ota practices and he was just going through everything and the way this guy talks the passion in his voice he sounds fired up to be there every single day talking about football and teaching his guys uh, the way that he wants them to play that position. I thought his entire press conference was really deep, uh, interesting, and he sounded somebody to me that is very quickly going to be a future uh, defensive coordinator in the NFL, if not eventually a head coach. Obviously the trend right now is young offensive head coaches defensive guys tend to take a back seat in that so that might be an obstacle for him to overcome but he seems really smart Packers obviously have a lot of new talent in that room that Smith needs to coach up and get uh, ready to to become pass rushers in the NFL in the case of Gary or kind of fit into this defense in the case of the Smith brothers that they signed but that guy right there is the one that stood out to me right away is there somebody that has stood out to you in the brief amount of time that we've gotten a chance to get to know some of these guys uh, I like Smith, so he's one for sure, but to, to kind of go in a different direction here, I'm going to go with Nathaniel Hackett and just his enthusiasm for being here and having a chance to work with Aaron Rodgers. And, I mean, after working with Blake Bortles for as many years as he did, do you blame him? Um, <laughs> you know, I, so I, I like that. And I everyone's got their eyes on the offense. Aaron Rodgers is still obviously the center point of this team. And so what Hackett is going to do to help Matt LaFleur prepare for each week is going to be important. So the enthusiasm there is uh, is big because when he was hired, you know, there was a lot of criticism because he was let go by Jacksonville. He didn't catch on right away. So why are they, you know, is this a reach? Was, was he even their first choice? We'll see. Um, and then, then bringing back Luke Getze um, for a second stint to coach Aaron Rodgers you know, even if that was a familiarity thing, uh, I, you know, I, I, I like what they're doing there. I think that you, you have to cater a little bit to your players and you have to relate to them in the best way that you can. And if that was their, their decision making, I have to go with it and I have to trust it. But there's a lot of these guys that we just don't know a lot about. So it's, it's really tough. I mean, looking through the list here, Ben Sermons, I think, is the only coach that was a holdover from last year with McCarthy. And then on defense, outside of Mike Pettin, who's the defensive coordinator, I think Jerry Montgomery and Jason Simmons are the are the only ones that also were held over. So not a lot of familiarity with these guys. It's kind of tough to, to really say what they're going to be and what we're going to see from them. But I, I will say this. I talk a lot about culture, and I've written about it, about Matt LaFleur and implementing that. And it does sound like, you know, these guys are a pretty tight-knit bunch. And, you know, hopefully they realize and understand the opportunity that they have in front of them. They've got 
a, you know, a transcendent player at a very important position that's going to keep them in every ball game. They've got a good chance to win double-digit games just simply because if that guy stays healthy and plays well, the team is going to do good things. And I'm not just resting on that, but it's just it's a fact. It's a proven fact over the years. And hopefully they know, the guys that are new, this is Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, you know, it, there was a time when winning was optional and it was, you know, the, a very lackadaisical thing and the board of directors was – running the team and it was just a, a very weird vibe but 30 years strong now winning is important and hopefully these guys understand that that's obviously first and foremost yeah i always think it's funny that we have these almost instant reactions to assistant head coaches or you know assistants coordinators whatever that are hired when realistically we don't know a whole hell of a lot about them uh the one example i kept using that everybody had crowned in recent years was John DiFilippo uh, from his time in Philadelphia. He went to Minnesota last year, got scapegoated by Mike Zimmer, no doubt there. But the Vikings' offense was worse than it was the year prior, and he was fired. And he caught on in Jacksonville. Good for him. But this is a guy who was supposedly going to be on the fast track to becoming an NFL head coach, and ultimately, I mean, when it comes to these assistants. Realistically, we don't know a whole lot about them. We're not working with those guys. They very rarely, they don't, I mean, they talk to the media a little bit. Some guys give you some stuff. I mentioned Mike Smith is a great interview. Hackett was another one uh, that came to mind for for myself on that as well. But there are plenty of guys that are just up there and don't want to be up there. I'm not saying that they do the Winston Moss thing, but there are guys that don't want to be up there and they don't say a whole lot. So I, I just always think that's kind of funny when somebody freaks out of Oh man, I don't really like that offensive coordinator hire that we re- you know that we just made or whatever. When realistically, what do you know? Because you know it's like oh well, you hired him and he was with a bad offense. Well, the Packers hired Mike McCarthy as their head coach, who came from a bad offense, and he's you know one of the three greatest coaches in the history of the team. So take that for what you will. Moving forward on that. You mentioned establishing culture, and I'll kind of answer the question that we got here from Matt Fralick, who's also on the Pack-A-Day podcast team. Uh, you know, he asked, you know, with the enormous overhaul of the staff, what would be the biggest obstacle for the new coaches? I think, Jason, it's just what you said, establishing that culture, because there's a lot of guys. There is some turnover with the roster, obviously. It's that way every year. But there's a lot of guys that are playing for their first new head coach ever. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has not played for a head coach other than Mike McCarthy. He's the starting quarterback. That's a bit of a big deal. I really think it's just yeah, establishing that culture, finding out what are things that they've done that can still work, that they like, while also rebuilding something that is, to some degree, I don't. I mean, you know, the Tyler Dunn piece was what it was, and you can take some of that for what it's worth. I don't think it was a smear campaign or anything like that, like it's been built out to be, but... I think it is fair to say to some point that this locker room was broken by the end of last year. Now, they've done some work on rebuilding that, but realistically, I think the big obstacle for Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff is to just build this culture to where guys are ready to come into work every day and chasing uh, another world championship in a way that is less stale than the way that Mike McCarthy had it over the last couple of years. I also think a big obstacle here, guys, is the Packers essentially 
looked at their offense from last year. They added a little bit with Billy Turner and Elton Jenkins on the offensive line. But other than that, they basically said, okay, we're going to run it back. And, you know, the main contributors from last year's offense, unless Jay Sternberger has a breakout early in camp that you probably didn't see coming, because rookie tight ends tend to take a little bit, is the Packers' offense is essentially the same group in a new system. And the Packers are essentially saying that they believe their offense was good enough and that, from a talent standpoint, and that this new system will pretty much revitalize an offense that finished you know, towards the bottom of the league in terms of most offensive categories from a season ago. So those, I think, are your two biggest challenges. And something else we're going to talk about as we get closer to is why I think uh, Green Bay's defense Every year we've always talked about how Green Bay's defense has to improve, but this year I think that's paramount for various reasons. And we'll talk more, like I said, about that as we get closer to camp and why I think that and what I think as far as all those things go. But, Jason, with Matt LaFleur at the helm, what are you looking forward to the most in just terms of his coaching style? Like, what's something that you're looking for? Because I think it's fair to say you can't – have a good judge on whether or not the Packers hired a good head coach. You know, unless they had hired Bill Belichick or somebody that was established, and we knew right away he's a good head coach because he has been one in the NFL before. Matt LaFleur's never been a head coach, so for somebody to say good hire, bad hire, to me is ridiculous and honestly disingenuous. You're probably looking for that answer already, and it wouldn't have mattered who they hired you to think that way so what's something you're looking for with Matt LaFleur to say okay this is what I see this is what I'm looking at I know or that makes me at least feel better from the fact that the Packers made a good hire I want to see how well the flow of the game he handles the flow of the game so when it when you're in a situation like a football is a game that that's fast So when something goes down that requires him to think quickly and decide, am I going to challenge this play? Am I going to use a timeout? Am I standing close enough to the official to call a timeout? He, you know, tours Achilles' heel. So that's something he's going to have to consider, you know, in his mobility on the sideline to, you know, to not to get too far off track, but using, you know, getting the play in, not having these delay of game penalties, not, you know, not being on the same page with Aaron Rodgers I think it's just his ability to control the flow of the game and not look like a rookie head coach there's going to be moments where he's probably going to have some growing pains and that's you know he's a first-time head coach in a new place in a very historic franchise with a unique situation there's going to be stuff that's going to go on that's going to make him you know that's probably not going to be his, his greatest moment but everybody makes mistakes you're never going to have perfection but at least nine out of ten times don't waste the timeout. Don't waste the play call. Don't waste the play. Um, don't get caught not being prepared. You know, I mean, for as much as Mike McCarthy accomplished too often, especially late in his tenure, it just seemed like he wasn't prepared for what was going on out there. And I just want to see somebody who's got the cool calm collected. I can make this decision. I've at least prepared for it. I've prepped for it. You're always thinking it's steps ahead. I don't want to you know, ask him to be Bill Belichick because nobody is. Bill Belichick's in a league of his own in terms of how he manages the game and and knows it and eats, sleeps, breathes it. But Matt LaFleur also, I mean, it's, you know, they got to they gotta get this thing turned around. It's two seasons worth of, of rough football. And, you know, after, you know, if, if we can circle back on something, I, I want to illustrate 
uh, something that came out um, on Friday with regards to the you know one of the pitfalls and one of the downfalls to two uh, seasons that have not gone well um, that extends beyond what's going on on the field. But you know he's he's got to get the ship righted, so he's got to he's got to be prepared. Yeah, I, you mentioned the timeout usage. That was something that was absolutely ridiculous by the end of Mike McCarthy's tenure here. I think the way Aaron Nagler put it in a Cheesehead TV hangout was just get up to the line of scrimmage and run a bleeping play. Like, honestly, get up to the line of scrimmage and run a damn play. Like, <laughs> it's that simple. Um, I think that, you know, something else, obviously the relationship between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers is going to be talked about ad nausea. Because of the way Mike McCarthy's tenure ended here in Green Bay and some of the stories that came out afterwards and all that other stuff, obviously, comes up as well. But I I, I think that's going to end up being overblown, honestly. You know, the biggest thing, like you said, there's going to be growing pains. And you know what's going to happen is, you know, national pundits. Matt LaFleur could make a mistake in the first game of the season against Chicago and somebody will immediately be talking about how the Packers made a bad hire and, well, they've just flushed Aaron Rodgers' career down the toilet because LaFleur's incompetent. Something I can, I mean, granted, this is a elementary example compared to some other stuff, but based on what we're talking about at least, Matt LaFleur from his first day at the podium to now, he has improved and gotten more comfortable in an immense way. I mean, he, his last, the last time the Packers were at OTAs and he had media availability, he basically rolled up to his media availability and was like, hey guys, how's it going? Or something to that effect. Like he's known these guys for 10 years. So, something else that is true, how much it matters remains to be seen. But Matt LaFleur is going to make mistakes early in his tenure as the head coach. He's also going to get better as a head coach with time now whether that makes him a good head coach or a great head coach remains to be seen but just remember to hold off some judgment a little bit uh, when he does make that first mistake because it will happen but ultimately yeah that's that's what i'm looking for is you know you mentioned establishing culture and you mentioned getting that ship right at the end of the day that's really it all the noise and all this other crap from the last two years None of it's going to matter if the Packers win. If they're good again, playing in the playoffs, competing for a world championship, nobody's going to care about anything that's happened in the last couple of seasons if they do that. So that's going to be your big thing for the head coach, obviously, and his coaching staff as a whole is getting all that together. Uh, Jason, anything you want to add before uh, we sign off here? Yeah, it looks like you do. Yeah, just real, yeah, just real quick. So, on Friday, the team's financials were released, and there's a lot of reasons why, but the Packers' uh, profits, um, as compared to past seasons, were way, way down. So the team reported a net income of $8.4 million, but there was only $724 grand in profit this past year, and it was mostly because of player contracts. They're still paying Mike McCarthy and his coaching staff because they were under contract through 2019, and so apparently coaches are like um, – baseball contracts everything's guaranteed and you have to pay it even if you let the players go um in full and then the concussion settlement and then they also had quite a few expenditures related to their celebration of 100 years 
in the NFL last year. So some anomaly things that led to that. But, you know, the Packers are not cat strapped for cash, but that's just one more thing that's hanging over the head of this coaching staff. It's that, you know, if they have a third bad season in a row, they've built up Titletown and Lambeau Field and all that area around there to try to attract visitors. And, yes, the NFL is always going to attract visitors, and it's a popular sport, and it's, you know, outgrossing all the others and all that good stuff. But there is no substitute for the draw of a winning team. And if you have a third straight season where team this team is successful and they, it isn't winning, the looky-loos aren't what's bringing the ton of revenue in to Green Bay. It's Packers fans that aren't in Green Bay that are coming in to see a game bag on the crowd all you want and say that they're doing the wave and stupid things and they're not as intense as they used to be. You know, I was watching an old uh, film of the uh, the divisional champ, uh, playoff game from the 1996 season when they won the Super Bowl with Favre and Holmgren, and Lambeau Field was absolutely rocking. Totally different crowd from back then. But, you know, even as, as watered down as it is right now, that's going to be another thing that's going to continue to slide our the revenues and the profits if this team doesn't get it turned around. So it's not a, a threat level midnight, uh, if I can make a, an office reference on the show, much to the chagrin of my co-host uh, situation, but that is something to kind of keep an eye on because, as we know, money talks in a lot of situations. The NFL is absolutely no exception. Right. I'm not going to even acknowledge the fact that you just referenced the worst television show in the history of TV, but – you did, so it happened. Um, yeah, I agree. That's you know just one more small thing. Like you said, when I go to Green, not granted, I'm a diehard, and I'll go to Green Bay. Like I went on New Year's Eve last year when they were playing the Lions, and I ended up seeing Deshaun Kaiser for three and a half quarters, and it was awful. But bad football is kind of like bad pizza to me. You know, it's like bad pizza is still freaking pizza. Bad football, it's still Packers football. But yeah, for the most part, like you mentioned, there's people. The sledding hill and all the other stuff that everybody makes fun of around the area, I mean, yeah, that's not going to draw people like a winning team will. So that's what the Packers need to get back to. That's going to do it for this edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Be sure to check out the show. It's at Pack-A-Day Podcast. Follow the show on Twitter. Like us. Subscribe to us. All those good things on your favorite podcast network. You can follow Jason. He's at Jason Perone. And you can follow me. I am at Jacob Westendorf. Something exciting. I believe Andy's going to make this uh, open to the public at some point. Uh, but if not, it's something I'll get to brag to you guys about. But we have merchandise. I am wearing my Pack-A-Day hat. There are T-shirts and hats and all kinds of different stuff. So Andy may very well make those things available um, to the public in the in the near future. So that's something to keep an eye out for uh and like i mentioned you can follow me on twitter at jacob westendorf i'll show you guys some of that stuff if you'd like uh for all those things something else i need to address real quickly i did this on twitter earlier in the week for years i have staunchly been against the use of wireless headphones i have said what the hell is the difference between a wireless headphone that costs a hundred some odd dollars and the cheap headphones that cost $5 and do the same thing. Well, guys, my wife bought me a pair of AirPods this week, and I very much understand the sentiment now. And I am addicted to them. I love them. So I would like to apologize to anyone that I've hurt 
by having this take over the last couple of years. But that's going to do it <laughs> now that I'm through with that. Thank you guys for listening. We are one step closer to training camp now. Can't wait. It's going to be exciting season, much better than the last couple of years. Thank you for listening, guys, and go Pat, go. Showing a blitz through the A gap, and here they come. Rogers looking, throws left side of the end zone. He gets touchdown. Devontae Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Method on third down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Method looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the challenge. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds, inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. Devontae's got it, out of bounds, inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.